0: You
1: like fire, boy? I
0: do. You're listening to
1: Your Tables
0: on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 41. Okay, if you turn to your left and look at your game shelf, you'll probably see this man's name. Today we have a very special guest. This is Don Eskridge, the founder of Orange Machine Games and the designer and publisher of Abandoned Planet. Don, welcome to your tables on fire. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, we're, we're super excited to have you here. Why don't you uh, kick us off by introducing yourself?
1: Sure. Uh, so, hey, guys and girls. Uh, I'm Don. I let's see. Uh, what about me? I'm from Oklahoma. I've been in South Korea a while. I now live in Chicago. I'm a game designer. And about six months ago, I decided to become my own publisher. So I created Orange Machine Games, and now I'm making a new game called Abandoned Planet. All
0: right. So you you said you've been in Korea. What took you there?
1: Uh, after I finished school, I, you know, like a lot of people, I was just kind of interested in exploring the world. So. I went there to teach English, and I stayed because I liked it. Ah, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Well,
0: yeah. uh, you conveniently left out some of your your uh, bigger claims of fame, so I'm going to have to fill those in for you. So you are the designer of a few fairly popular games like The Resistance or Avalon. Is that uh, correct?
1: Uh, yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. So you've been uh, designing games for a little while. Uh, yeah, for about... So I guess professionally about six or seven years, kind of depending, you know, when you see it as resistance as coming out. I first made the P&P in um, about summer of 2009 and I sort of published it on BGG myself and it gained popularity and reviews. And then it was picked up by uh, Indie Boards and Cards and was published in 2010, sort of fall of fall of 2010. So, so yeah, to answer your question better. So, yes, I've been basically all my life I've worked on games just because I love doing it. Um, but as a professionally like published designer, yeah, for about six or seven years, right? Right. Well,
0: let's go even before a professional published designer. When did you start actually designing games at all?
1: Hmm, Um, since you know, since I was very young, I enjoyed just toying around. Uh, my sister and I. We would go, our family would take road trips, and we would go to KOA camps. Are you familiar with those? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I was a youth in America. I know you how guys? those work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it's called Campgrounds uh, Over America. What is, I don't even know what it stands for. I, I, uh, torture. That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But anyway, you know, we would go and, uh, you know, we'd have Kool-Aid, and my sister and I would play with cards, and we, would, we made a little game called Blast with a deck of cards, and each player would have four cards in front of them in a row and basically their goal was to make a pattern so it could be a row could be two pairs um could be a suit so you know it's not too terribly complicated um but each card when you drew it you could use its special ability so kind of like i don't know if people are familiar with the drinking game king's cup but basically everything would have a special ability that you could use to like help your own stuff blow up your opponent's stuff, and that was probably my first game that, like, I felt like my sister and I had made a game, and yeah. I, so I was I couldn't have been more than twelve. Wow! And, and what what inspired you to make a game in that case? I just had I thought games were fun. Um, <laughs> I I was never like, you know, for wh- whatever reason, I I was never really into sports, um, and so I just liked other other ways to play, um, and that just made immense making things, making systems into things that aren't necessarily systems or, or creating, you know, new systems on systems. So whether that's like my, my friend Brian and I, when we were in elementary school, you know, we'd play about, around this big pile of ants, like while everyone else was like on the soccer field, playing soccer, uh, we'd be right next to the soccer field. Uh, okay, occasionally the ball would come at us and we'd, you know, bop, bop it away if we could. Um, yeah, you know, and there's all these like red ants and black ants, and we're just you know just making little systems with them. <laughs> that's <laughs> um, pretty awesome. Really, uh, really making myself look good here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's that's sportsmanship by osmosis. I think that's okay. Yeah, and um, uh, let's see here. I I made I, I made some other card games when I was super young, which are not too dissimilar from Blast, basically like laying cards and trying to make. Uh, you know, patterns. And because, you know, obviously I was still young, I was still growing. There was one where in order to win the game, once you laid the last card, I'll try to remember, it was like, say your prayers, you little flower, I'm the new superpower. Like that was (laughs) a a part of winning the game, as you said that line. (laughs) You know, I, I'm now very disappointed that that's, that didn't make it into the Resistance. <laughs> well, but, you know, audio cues are certainly not in, like, the the written format of the game, but there are certainly things that I say every time that I play the game. Um, I almost, every time I play at the very beginning, I'll call out, The Resistance! And I, put, <laughs> I put my fist in the air, and, you know, anyone who doesn't do it, it, it will, I will immediately accuse as being a spy. Because basically, <laughs> I, I find it's, it's a great jumping off point to the game. You know, just to get people in the mood of being, you know, loud and interactive and accusing each other with no good reason. Right. Um, And anytime someone like, uh, anytime a vote is not passed for a mission, I'll say, and you fail as a leader, now pass the leadership token across. And that, you know, that just makes them feel terrible, which I'm fine with. (laughs) Well, isn't that that the whole point of the resistance is make people just feel miserable inside? (laughs) Miserable until their fiery search for the truth wins and then they feel great so it's that's
0: bad. that's true that's mm-hmm. true well you so you mentioned you know a little bit of the story of how resistance came about uh, mm-hmm. with your print and play but can you go into that a little more detail like how, how did indie board and cards find you and and what was that ride
1: like yeah sure uh it was it was definitely a, a really cool wild ride um so yeah, I first came up with the game as just it was just sort of a flash in my head because um, of course I played Mafia and Werewolf and and I realized what if we trust people instead of distrusting <laughs> them you know and allow them the opportunity to betray us and I was like wow okay that that works and the and the kids I played it with the kids at this uh, leadership camp that I was at I played it with them and they loved it and uh, one of the kids even said like this is going to be famous one day and I'm going to know that I was here and uh, I'm I'm wow. Glad to say that uh, you know it worked out, so that was cool. But with uh, indie boards and cards, so I uploaded the game on BGG uh, just for free because um, I wanted people to play and they did. And then I released uh, a second version with some minor rules changes, some important ones like uh, for seven to 10 players, the fourth round requires two fails. Like that's that was a really big yeah. addition. And BGG contacted me. Well, first I kind of made efforts to get the game out there. And I did this remotely from Korea. So wow. I, I went through a, a print and play service to try to get the game into uh, Z-Man's hands and, mm. and a few others. Uh, turns out it went, it went horribly. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first foray into uh, actually paying people to print things, and I, I hadn't set it up right. And the cards were printed in a way such that there was literally no way to fix them, because if you if you were to like glue this one card to another card, you would then be destroying this other thing that's necessary. So that was that was painful. Somehow though, Z-Man did end up playing the game, and he passed on it, which is totally fine. And then Travis of Indie Boards and Cards contacted me, and at first, you know, I wasn't sure. You know, he at the time he wasn't a like a, a big publisher, mm-hmm. um, but he I, I give Travis a lot of credit. He was persistent, um, and he won me over, and we entered the production process, which again was a, a major learning period because you know up until that point I had controlled every every part of the game. You know, right. I'd worked with sort of a BGG. I wish I could say, his, I wish I could shout out his name or his BGG username right now. But um, I worked with a guy on BGG to make graphics for a print and play. Um, and so, of course, I was a big part of that. And so for the published version of Resistance, you know, I certainly had some influence, but not, not all the influence. You know, and as a designer, you're kind of power hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a learning experience um learning how to interact how to realize what you can push for what it's best not to push for and i'm i'm very glad for that experience and today you know over this over a series of games uh i developed a good working relationship with uh indie boards and cards mm-hmm.
0: but but now you're back with with your own company orange machine games i am so you're you're Trying it out on your own, is that just a hail back to the old days or
1: <laughs> uh I guess at its very core, you might call it that a hail back to the old days <laughs> The power returns <laughs> that's right you you just wanted all the power for yourself. that's what it really yeah. comes down to I'm not you know I, I won't I won't lie about that but there 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 are more <laughs> reasons than that too uh I would say it comes to one um Resistance is successful enough that it gives me the chance. You know, it's not it's not cheap to, you know, pay artists and pay for manufacturing. There's a lot of setup, and I'm thankful that because of Resistance, I'm able to do that. And two, I'm a better designer than I was uh, five years ago. Over the course mm-hmm. of my time in Korea, the things that I had published were, you know, Avalon and other Resistance expansions. But I was also working on a lot of ideas just on my own. And I felt like I had enough of them that, so given, so one, I had a number of, of what I felt were strong ideas. Two, I had financial ability and three, I had just moved back to the United States and was living in Chicago. I am living in Chicago. So it just seemed like if I were ever going to do it, now would be the time. Mm -hmm. So I did.
0: Yeah, well, so that leads us to Abandoned Planet. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um,
1: so I guess, you know, for first off, for people who aren't familiar with the game, can you give us the pitch? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's called Abandoned Planet. It's about escaping the meteor apocalypse and doing it with a partner. That's the sort of the core axiom of the game is that you can't win alone. Nobody can win alone. You need to collect parts to fix your rocket to blast into space. And you need to do that while the world is falling apart around you. Uh, including meteors, possibly hitting your own rocket. So that so that by itself, that's just a, a theme of the game. But what makes it cool uh, is two thing, at least two things. One, as I said, you need a partner, which means that throughout the game, you are going to be trying to find synergies with as many other players as you can so that the things you're collecting match up with what they're collecting so that you two are the fastest to be able to fly off. Two, you can partner with anyone except the people on your left and your right. So essentially, you have known enemies and uncertain allies. So you know who who you can do all who you have a nice excuse to do all these mean things to, and (laughs) and who you have a reason to work with, even if you don't necessarily like them or what they're doing. You know, I was playing a game just last night um, with some great people. Uh, It was a four-player game. A four-player game is the only time when it's different. In a four-player game, you can't work with the person across from you. So essentially you still have two options, the people on your left and your right. Right. And by by whatever confluence of events, uh, the person across from me was not going to win. And (laughs) he was screaming to the people on his left and right, don't go with him, he's playing you. He's playing (laughs) you against each other. He's just gonna walk with whichever one of you gets there first. And I said to him, you know, dude, ask them if they're okay with that. And they were both like, yeah, we are. <laughs> we don't have to like it. Nobody said we had to like it, but this is how we win. <laughs> so it's, What I like about the game is that it creates those situations where you create teams, you betray teams, and you have to act opportunistically. You know, in Resistance, People, you know, with the metagame of resistance, you come to not trust anyone who's good at the game because they're they're good at lying to you. Mm. Whereas in Abandoned Planet, you're rewarded for all those skills that make a good resistance player. If (laughs) if you can figure out what other people need, what they want, and use the board and use other players to be able to work with them, you'll win the game. Another really big thing that I like about the game is that multiple people can win. So if you're playing like an eight-player game, for example, which has the most number of players, uh, as I said before, you have to win with a partner. So a pair is always just two. It's never more, it's never less. Uh, But multiple teams can blast off in the same round. So that means that six people could potentially win an eight-player game. And I always love to give that ideal at the beginning of the game and be like, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, we're all going to win. And then watch (laughs) watch it devolve and only four or even just two players win. You know, even though if they just worked together a little bit better, you know, more people could have blasted off and survived.
0: (laughs) That's pretty hilarious. Thanks. Well, so it seems to me that you are a master of creating these social moments, right? Like that's that's what's fun about resistance Mm -hmm. is it's not... Hmm. And I, I, don't take this the wrong way. Let me state the whole thing. It's not the game. It's, it's what the game creates. It's the fact that I'm playing with my 15-year-old and she's lying through her teeth to me. And it's, you know, it's this crazy moment. And it sounds like that's exactly what Abandoned Planet is as well. Is it, it sets up this, this social moment between myself and who I'm playing with that's pretty incredible. So how do
1: you design to that space? What, what does that look like? So yeah, that, that's a great point, and I totally agree. When I enter game design, I, I certainly do like like abstract games, games where you're trying to figure out a machine, a system. Um, I enjoy playing some of those games, but when it comes to what I make, I'm all about the, the human moments, uh, the interactions that it creates. So I, I go out of my way to think, how can I make a moment where you have to betray someone that you love? You know, mm-hmm. how, how can I give you that excuse to do something that you can't do in real life or you can't, or you can't do it without big consequences, you know? Right. Right. So how do I design it? You know, just by playing around the same way, the same way that anyone designs or paints or sets up a house, you just try things out, see what works, try it again. And for me, I just, I watch people's faces. I see if they're laughing. I see if they're, they're, usually they're not crying, but I see, (laughs) you know, I, I just look at them, you know, and I'm like, okay. This, this moment is good, but I want it to be bigger. So how can I reduce their resources? How can I increase their resources to make it to push them to the edge? Because that's, that's where I want them to be.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So uh, it sounds like then a lot of playtesting. Is that, is that true?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, through, you know, through Korea and the US and, you know, international playtesters abroad, uh, it's great redundancy there, Don, international and abroad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I definitely get a lot of people to play and uh, just see how, see how they deal with it. And I think that Abandoned Planet is no different from Resistance and Avalon in the sense that it's group dependent. You need, you need people who enjoy talking to each other. And if you don't, so I, I think it's slightly less group dependent than like Resistance Avalon, but not much because it is a board game. I don't want anyone to think when they start playing Abandoned Planet, I'm playing, you know, Resistance 3.0. Uh, because the game is social and it is, certain, it is a board game with very heavy social elements, but it is not purely a social game. Hmm. So people who choose not to be social could still win the game because what you're trying to do is find a partner. And even if you're not great at being like, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, 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 you, know? uh, <laughs> if you if you can build up complementary inventory of what Bob needs. So I haven't really explained, but in the game, a standard game, you need certain resources. You need four tools, four parts, three food, two tech, and two fuel. So if I have three tools and you have one tool, then even if I'm not a super social gamer, I can just say, Bob, just point at his inventory, point at in mine, he's gonna be like, oh okay, we have good synergy and tools. What else do we have good synergy in? So it's really it's really both.
0: Well, talk us through a little bit of how the game's evolved. You know, when did you start working on it? What did the very first versions look like? And how has it moved forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely gone through a lot of iterations, you know, some of which have nearly nothing to do with each other. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Basically, you know, I thought about big themes that I like. And, you know, Meteor Apocalypse is a pretty epic theme. Pretty much anything I want to do, it's going to, I want it to be epic. Like, my next game after this is about black holes. So, mm. look forward to that. Um, <laughs> um, so, one of the original formats was a line, a line from left to right. And what I just took like 12 squares and lined them up. And I put numbers on each one. So, two, three, four, five, six, seven, up through 12. So, two through 12. And each, you could get a resource from each one when you landed there. And as I mentioned earlier, your goal is to get. Resources with a partner to fly out now So you would choose a square to go to on this line, and then you would roll a die and It let's say it came out as an 8 so that 8 square would be destroyed and it's gone So let's say you rolled an 8 and that square was already destroyed Well, then you go if it's a number above 7, then you go up you round up to the next higher number If It's a number below 7 you round down, but the point is the game started out as just a line and getting resources on that line and having that line be destroyed as you go. So things like so that uses dice, obviously. And the dice element is something that was much heavier in the early versions of the game. And as I got as I worked on it, worked on it, saw players' reactions, and just got smarter myself, I realized I want want there to be luck, but I want the luck to be by the fact that you don't know what other players are going to do. And so I tried to create that through more simultaneous action selection. So every round, uh, everyone chooses a path saying where they're going to go to fly out. And if you choose the same path as someone else, then there's a good chance that you're going to have to fight about the resource that you get from landing there. Um, so that's one way of reducing luck. Another one is that it used to be, there was a die that decided where the meteor was going to land and you had some estimation of where it could land, but not everyone. And so essentially you're just choosing to take a risk. And I thought that was fine. Um, but the more I played it, the more I realized, you know, players want more agency. So I made it so that the card, that shows where the meteor lands is a card and the the leader who actually, for a reason I won't go into has a bit of a disadvantage compared to other players is the only one who gets to look at that card. So again, you have an element of chance because the leader can share that information about where the meteor is going to go, but doesn't have to. So if you don't know where the meteor is going to land, it's probably because you haven't done a good job of creating a strategic game connection or a social connection with that player. So again, luck, but where you have the agency to affect them more.
0: Yeah, pretty cool. Well, so you've been working on it for a while. At what stage did you say, okay, this is this is ready. This is good. This is cooking. Let's put it on Kickstarter.
1: Um, so I, bef- before I ever tried to put it on Kickstarter and before I had returned from Korea, I actually did shop it a little bit uh, to publishers. And this was an earlier version of the game. This was closer to that first version than a later version. And I think that I just got a little bit on my high horse thinking – it would be easier than it was just because I had a successful set of games out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and at two years ago, I first showed an early version to a couple publishers to indie boards and cards. And again, to Z-Man, I approached Z-Man again. Um, <laughs> and they were like, they were like, you got, you got something here. This is fun, but it's not, you know, it's not quite there. And, you know, Jeff, I, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that. Like I, I know that I'm going into my own self-publishing, but Mm-hmm. that is with the experience the knowledge that having people who you respect even people you don't respect telling you your product is not good enough is extremely important mm-hmm. because if they had said yes and the game had been published at that time it wouldn't have been nearly as good a game as it is now uh so, you know hearing that you know you you the, the line i'm about to say you can hear a million times from michael jordan and everyone else you know fail as much as you can you know and fail hard and I've certainly experienced that. And so it's great to take that and learn and keep shopping the game as much as possible. Not not shopping, but playing it and showing it to others as much as possible until you finally hear enough, you know enough, and you know in your heart that the game is ready. And that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, very cool. Well, let's talk more about Kickstarter. So your campaign is wrapping up. I think you have a little <laughs> less than a week left.
1: Yeah, uh, How right. are things going? Things are going very well. You know, some games explode on Kickstarter, and some games go nowhere. And you know, I'm Mm -hmm. very happy with where Band Planet is. It did it. Is it like a Secret Hitler type explosion, Uh, or what is it, Kingdom Death Monster? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not. But I'm okay with that because we are we are past funded, and Mm -hmm. we're looking to get to 65k or more. uh, Because you know, there's always sort of a spike towards the end. Right. I'm happy because this is just the, my, a first game in a series of games that I'm going to be making. And all these people who pledged, they're going to get the game. And I'm pretty confident that a lot of them, at the very least, are going to really enjoy the game. And mm. six months down the line, maybe seven months, I'm going to have another game that I've been working on, which I you know, look forward to telling everyone about. And so for me, it's the process of building a, a series of works that people you know, get more and more excited about. So am I happy with the Kickstarter? Yes, I am. And I can't wait to uh, upload a few more stretch goals here, probably in a few hours when we hit
0: 55,000. Wow. Give us a sneak peek on what those stretch goals might be.
1: Well, so the thing is, what's funny is that a lot of designers include, not a lot, but I don't know, some people include rules additions as part Mm -hmm. of their stretch goals. And I think that's like ridiculous. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you it's like, are you kidding? You, rules. You're not paying more for rules. You know, you should have you should have had every rule that made your game great in the Kickstarter from the very beginning. That's how I feel about it. And so mm. the things that we're upgrading are the components. So our last stretch goal was a really nice insert that holds the box because we originally had like a cardboard insert uh, planned, and that was fine. But since we hit our goal, we're able to do that. And the next one that we're looking at is right now the game uses cubes as resources which i think are great cubes are when people see cubes they know what they are they're easy to pick up um but what we would love to do is something like agricola you know little wooden tokens that look more like what they represent Mm -hmm. so our designer bobby right now is looking at how to make those and i've talked with panda uh, who's probably going to be our manufacturer about the potential costs and so very soon we hope to make an update showing how our tools actually look like tools and our tech looks like tech and our fuel looks like fuel. And uh, the food one's pretty cool. So I look forward to getting that online.
0: Yeah, very cool. Well, so this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is your first Kickstarter campaign.
1: This is the first Kickstarter that I've run myself. Yes. Like Avalon and Resistance on Kickstarter, but not through me. Right.
0: So this is the first one
1: you've run. Yes. So was there anything
0: that... Going in you thought was A but it turned out to be B or just completely caught you off guard now having done your first campaign?
1: Absolutely. You know, I will – I'll be the first person to fess up to, you know, mistakes that I've made. And I'm, I don't know about everyone personally. I'm very happy to make mistakes. Uh, you know, I've made a number <laughs> of them. And it's, it's – they're learning opportunities. I think I think mistakes are great if you recognize them for what they are and stand up and say, hey, my bad. You know, let me see what I can do about that. So for me, like mistake number one is uh, I set the price of the game too high, and that's totally on me. Basically, that was set in order to meet a manufacturing goal, and mm. my mistake there was not anticipating that more people would back it at a lower price, which would end up with us meeting that goal anyway. Mm. Um, and as you know, a person just now entering this business on that side, that was just, you know, looking back at it now, it's like, oh, that's really obvious, Don, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but when you're when you're in the middle of doing so much for a campaign, uh, you know sometimes there are just obvious things that you miss. And another one would be shipping. Uh, this was is you know it's obviously a big deal for international backers in particular. And I talked to our uh, our, our shipping and warehousing uh, solution black box. And I just said at the beginning, you know, what what are the prices? And they said, these are the prices. I said, okay, I like, that's those are the prices. I get it. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like they were the first company that I'd, I'd shopped, but they felt like a, a really good solution. I was happy to work with them. And that's what they said the prices were. So I said, okay. But international backers were not thrilled with those. And so I was like, okay, all right, I get it. I'm listening to you. So I went back to Black Box and I just went back to Black Box and back to Black Box and back to Black Box. Lots of, lots of bees in there. <laughs> and finally, they're like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, right, right. Here are the new shipping levels. And I said, okay. And mm. I uploaded those. And now international backers seem to be much happier with it. You know, it's, it's always going to be expensive to Australia. That's going to be a difficult thing to change. But the cost of shipping to UK went from like $25 to like 9 or $10. So mm. definitely a big improvement.
0: And, you know, I think um, you're hitting on a gem right there, which is just listening to people, listening to your backers, right? That's, that's what makes Kickstarter a Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, I, and I, it's also really important, I think, to keep the energy, you know, positive and constructive. And so I think it's, it's one thing just to say, hey, guys, let's stay positive, constructive. It's another thing to engage <laughs> with them positively and constructively, which is, you know, the latter of which is what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, now, so you, you mentioned briefly that you've got a number of other games in the works, uh, mm-hmm. a black hole game maybe next. Mm-hmm. Can you give yeah. us the the sneak peek on that?
1: Uh, sure, I can tell you a little bit about it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I, as much like I'm really enjoying Abandoned Planet and getting it out there. Um, but you know, Abandoned Planet compared to my other works is, uh, you know, as you can see just from watching the Kickstarter video, is it's a full-on board game. You know, it's it it has a lot of those social elements. You know, with trust and betrayal, uh, teamwork. But it also has the strategic elements of uh, set collection and worker placement. So my next game is kind of going back to the roots a little bit. It's not a social deduction game, but it is a hidden goals game where it's, it's half persuasion, half deduction. It's going to be another four to eight player game. This is the genre that I am, um, you know, my. I, it's my mission to fill this genre because I, in my, in my opinion, no one's doing it or, do, or doing it right. Uh, and you know, I can I can get hate mail on that, but that's my opinion. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's another four to eight player game. It's going to be shorter, you know, closer to Resistance length, uh, where there are things that you are you have a set of hidden things you're trying to achieve, and you're going to need to use your best politic politics, your best persuasion to make that happen and you also have to deduce what other people want so you know a lot of people call resistance like a yelling game sure yeah it's a yelling (laughs) game but you also need to you also need to figure things out and sometimes you'll be the one to figure them out sometimes other people sometimes your team will be the one to figure it out and in this there are no in in the black hole game uh which i'll go ahead and say the name right now is black hole council uh so nobody take that name on bgg please (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, basically you have to have both negotiation and deduction skills. They will they will reward you in equal measure. Um, it's a game where like resistance is three to five rounds and black hole council is about uh seven or eight rounds, and you're trying to make things happen and figure out what other people want, and you have to do it basically on two minutes per round. It's a timed game. So every round lasts about mm. two minutes. So it's it's very quick and dirty and intense. So I look forward to showing you more about that.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Well, so a lot of the listeners on your tables on fire are aspiring game designers. They're perhaps looking to launch their first Kickstarter campaign. Mm -hmm. Don, what would you tell them if you were talking to someone and you probably do this frequently, if I had to guess, Mm -hmm. if you're talking to someone who's who's looking to launch their first game or perhaps just design their first game, what, what advice would you have for them?
1: Um, I would say so there there are the obvious things which is play with as many people as you can um but I guess the less obvious thing that i would say is don't be defensive ever don't try to argue against someone who says that something about your game uh, is not good or it could be improved or oh it's this type of game even if they even if they say to you oh it's a, oh, it's a set collection game and say it's like a so a, a, a hidden identity game don't don't be like no, it's a hidden identity game. Be like, oh, <laughs> I, see, I see now. It's a set collection game. Thank you. I'll think about that. You should. You should never, ever argue with them because one, I mean, there's the obvious point that they're not going to like that very much, but there's the much greater point, which is that you aren't getting it. You aren't allowing what they're saying to pass through that wall so that you can take that kernel of truth, even if it's just a kernel of truth, you know, of what they said and use it to make your game better. So if someone tells you your, your game's like not good, you know, or it's just this, it's just that you gotta be like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then just go back to the drawing board and, and work mm. on it again. Just don't stop. Hmm. That's, that's hard to do. It is. It is hard to do. I've gone to a lot of places to play games, with a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I, I played this one card game recently, uh, with these guys, real nice guys. And I said, okay, so it's a, so it's a, so it's a, it's a light game, you know, and it, I didn't like love it, you know. It was a, it was a fine game, and so that I said it's a light game, and you know their response was, "Oh yeah, you're right. It's not Agricola, you know. You're right. It's not Power Grid." <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "Okay, guys, uh, you're not quite taking this." You know? <laughs> yeah, do that. Listen, listen. Write it down. You know, don't let it go, but let it go in the moment. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Very good. Well, Don, it's time for me to come clean with you. Okay. and Which is to confess that this whole podcast is a ruse. Oh, boy. To convince designers to come play the Game Design Challenge.
1: Oh, okay. And I I look forward to that. What is that?
0: So here's what this is. So I'm going to pick a random game theme. I'm going to present that to you. And then I want you to think about it, mold over, and uh, pitch back to me. Just off the cuff what that game might be hmm all right okay you up for that sure why not okay very good so i'm going to find a theme and theme is going to be intergalactic halfpipe.
1: intergalactic half pipe so what is a half pipe it's a thing you can like snowboard on but it doesn't have to be a half pipe oh. It is like a pipe, but it's just half of it. So I think that that would need to be important. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, the intergalactic uh, group has created the best they could for a wormhole. It's like really not a good wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> don't fly too high or you'll fly don't, right out of it. fly too high. So your <laughs> ships, multiple ships. So it's going to be a four day player game. We're going to get on this and they're going to jet along. And obviously they don't like each other much. And so you're going at, a, at extraordinary speeds where the smallest uh, mistake can you f- send you flying off the half pipe. <clears throat> okay. And so I guess the thing is we need to create the interaction that happens there. Let me think about that for a second. Hmm, obviously, there could be th- things coming from the other side of the wormhole that you would need to uh, manipulate. So, I mean, it could, be, it could just be like uh, a... You know, there are those race games. I don't know what they're even called, but I've played them before. Anyway, you're going along this wormhole, and you need to fight each other somehow. So, you know, to, just to think about a simple game mechanic, uh, every round, every player could choose the same time, because that's another mechanic I love, simultaneous action selection, just because I think games take too long, personally. Mm. Most do. And so I want to try to fit as much game into a short amount of time as I can, which I think, by the way, *Abandoned Planet* really succeeds at, because you can play an A-player game uh, in not much over an hour, which for A-players mm. is not bad. Yeah, it's pretty good. So let's say, for example, uh, you're going to choose how far ahead you go. Uh, everyone flips their card. So again, it's, that's kind of leans back toward *Abandoned Planet*. You know, if you hit the say, oh, okay, well, let's just let's just go with that for the moment. So to say, you both choose a seven to show that you shoot ahead. Seven, you now hit the same spot, and now's a moment where you could be eliminated from the game. And, uh, you know, just for fun, let's put in a, a dice element. You have three different dice. You know, you've got a blue die, which means that you're trying to avoid conflict, and you roll that, and it has a greater chance of going forward or backward. Uh, you have a green die, which has a greater chance of you being able to use a special ability, and you have a red die, which has a greater chance of being able to knock your opponent off of the uh, intergalactic half pipe. So each player, once they start that battle, is going to choose which die to use, and they can choose it secretly. And of course, there's a way to use more than two dice, or two dice or more, you know, mm-hmm. through some means. And then they both roll their dice. And before this, I suppose you could have a cosmic encounter type situation where you can ask other people to lend their dice to you, and they have the choice of whether to do that or not. So that certainly brings in uh, a political negotiation element. So you roll the dice, and if one player is knocked out, then hey, let's just make it a social. Let's let's make it an elimination game. Something I would never do. Uh, <laughs> you are eliminated. You are done. So what you what you've got here is a card and dice, fairly quick playing, uh, social race game. So there you go. There's intergalactic halfpipe.
0: I love it. That's, that's fantastic. I, I'm looking forward to see that on Kickstarter in you know, the next few years from you. So well, forget Black Hole Council. That's next, man. <laughs> fantastic. Well, Don, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, very good. And uh, best of luck for the rest of your campaign and for future campaigns as well.
1: Thank you so much. I, uh, you know I really enjoy talking, uh, and I look forward to doing it again in six months. Absolutely. We'll have you back
0: on. We'll get, we'll get a recap of kind of the, the post from Abandoned mm-hmm. Planet, and we'll talk about uh, you know, the Black Hole Council, and, and well, there you go. That
1: sounds perfect.
0: Well, that was Don Eskridge, the founder of Orange Machine Games and the creator and publisher of Abandoned Planet, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Check out our website for a link straight to Don's game, That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at TableFire. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BoardGameGeek. Hit us up on any of those websites and give us a review. We want to hear what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up.